0: Welcome to the Grasping Life Podcast. I'm your host, Lane Kimbrough. I just graduated from George Fox University, and I'm on a journey to become the absolute best version of myself. And it's inspired me to start this podcast to speak to exceptional people on all areas of life, mindset, purpose, faith, and so much more. I'm really excited you're here. In this season, I speak with eight stellar George Fox University 2020 graduates on their unique backgrounds, time at George Fox, mindset about life and faith, and how they're approaching the future. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, I have Yvonne Ayala on right now. Yvonne, thanks
1: so much for being on. Dude, thank you for inviting me out here, Lane.
0: Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Honestly, I've been looking forward to this. So Yvonne, I kind of want to start out just kind of where you grew up. Give a little background. What were you like as a kid? Stuff like that.
1: Okay. Uh, So I grew up in southern rural Oregon, small town called uh, Malin. And, uh, you know, just less than 800 people, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. If you want BK, you're driving 40 plus minutes, you know. Um, Only thing around here is like agriculture because it's really strong in farming. Um, as, as a kid, all you kind of do for fun is go outside, maybe play a little bit of video games, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary, I'd say. Um, other than, I guess, I feel like you'd have a little bit more freedom than if you were living in the city, because it, it kind of obviously feels a little bit safer when everybody knows everybody who lives in your town. That's interesting. How many siblings do you have? I just have one sibling. He's, uh, he actually just graduated from community college and he's applying to the police academy in Salem. Wow. Good for him. Good for him.
0: Uh, Something that I think is awesome is you have a really close relationship with your parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really love my parents. Um, Especially like my mom's always out there giving me that guidance, you know, Um, somehow. Okay. So she just calls me, you know, a couple times a week while uh, I'm off at school, and sometimes, dude, those phone calls land at the right moments, like right, right when you need your mom, you know. So I really appreciate my mom. Hmm.
0: That's pretty important to have that. Yeah, super grateful for that. I love it. So I want to I want to get through. So growing up, small rural town, um, not a whole lot to do other than go outside and hang out, play little video games. What What was high school like then? Was it same small, super small high school? I know you played football.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Super small high school. Um, Like, uh, so we combined two different towns and then the outskirts of a couple of other little tiny towns for a total of about like 230 kids. However, that 230 kids was also inclusive of seventh and eighth grade. So my high school was mixed with my middle school and we all kind of just went and had classes from the exact same teachers all the way from seventh through twelfth grade. Did you like that? Um, Yeah, actually, I really appreciated it. Um, I guess to some extent, it it can get kind of weird, though. Like, for an example, like if you date someone and then you break up, it's like, yo, I see them every single day. They have a locker right next to me. It can get a little bit awkward, you know? But other than that, it's just really nice because, you know, everybody's pretty friendly to each other. Um, You as a senior you know all the freshmen so I feel like that kind of like helps you experience sports in a different way to where everybody's just kind of like getting along and yeah so I, I'd say it had like it's up and downs
0: yeah now that makes sense it kind of sounds like George Fox a little bit it can yeah. feel a little small sometimes yeah. Well, yeah it's cool okay so let's lead into George Fox so you're in Southern Oregon and what why'd you decide to go to George Fox when did that come up
1: okay so Um, to get through this story, I have to start back in December of my senior year. I'm just kind of hanging out. It's the last day before winter break. And we'd always throw like this big event, like throughout the school where you'd kind of do fun activities and my, uh, aspire coordinator, which is someone who kind of guides you through, um, a scholarship process pulled me in, brought in my English teacher who at the time was like my biggest mentor, um. They both talked to me and they're like, have you applied to the Gates Foundation Scholarship? And I said, no, I'm not going to apply to that. You know, I was I was too focused on other things. Um, and then they're like, come back from winter break with these eight essays done. And so I said, OK, so my entire winter break, you know, kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie, but just busting out these eight one thousand word essays, working super hard, show up. One week to go before the application's due, get them revised, submit it, I swear to you, 15 minutes before it's due. And I'm like, no way. There's no way I'm getting that scholarship. Come early May, I've only applied to the University of Oregon and OIT, and at this point I'm committed to go to OIT in Klamath Falls. And I get this package in the mail, open it up. And I have a full ride anywhere in the country until 2028. Just insane blessing. I'm crying. And then I realize I've only applied to two schools and I can go anywhere <laughs> as long as I'm accepted. Um, so, you know, mid May, late May, go check out George Fox, come back home. Still don't know what I'm doing. Week before I graduate, fully commit to George Fox, just full scent out there. Hmm. And the rest is history, right? And the rest is history, bro. It was I feel like it was just a literal Jesus guiding me there, bro. Because that was crazy.
0: That is crazy. That's so cool. Yeah, when you when you told me that the first time, I was like, it like gave me goosebumps. Honestly, yeah. it's so cool. So tell me just explain a little bit more what what is the Gates Gates Foundation scholarship? What I mean, it's a full ride, but what is it's more than just that. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, explain a little bit of that.
1: So the whole rationale for the Gates Foundation scholarship is that Bill and Melinda decided that they believed that if you were to take a financial barrier away from a student, they would be able to perform just as well as anybody else who had money to attend school without having to worry about finances. So they funded 20,000 different scholars with a $1.6 billion uh, investment. And the, that investment goes beyond just paying for your undergrad, your master's, or a PhD, because it does all of that. But they constantly invite you to go to different conferences, to network, to get to see what the world's doing, right? And currently, because my cohort is the very last cohort of Bill and Melinda Gates Scholars, um, when I flew out to Philadelphia for an event, um, and these events are cool because they fully pay for these events as well. Um, they talked about the second stage of the program, and the second stage is that now you have 20,000 students who come from families that have never gone to college in a network, and so the whole like mentality that Bill and Melinda had was, well, if we get these students to succeed— they have a network, and then we want to see what they're going to do as future leaders in this country in different disciplines, all connected together to the same network, to hopefully help in getting more students to enter the education system post high school.
0: Mm, that's so cool. So it's a lot of it's a lot of students that maybe their parents or their family hasn't gone to college.
1: Yes, a lot of that because, uh, yeah, you also had to meet a specific. Um, like a specific number in your household income, um, because they wanted to make sure that they were targeting individuals who might not be able to make it all the way through college because of financial yeah. burden.
0: That's really cool, dude. That's so cool. Yeah. No, honestly, that's cool. So, okay, so you're you're getting to Fox now, right? Yeah. And you declare you want to go into science. Did you always want to go into science?
1: Yes, I did, but I had doubts. I had doubts my freshman year. Because I didn't necessarily know if I wanted to continue as a biology major. Because I realized you could still get into medical school with any major. And honestly, I was just getting wrecked left and right. Worst GPA I had in my entire college career. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't medical school good, right? And uh, I just kept thinking to myself, dog. You just need to go switch your major right now, pick up those prereqs, get a good GPA, go become a doctor. Um, but, you know, as I was debating all of this, my grades started to get better, and I started to make a lot of friends within the biology department, and eventually just started clicking, found some mentorship. Uh, Professor Smart, you know, he's my biggest mentor out there, and uh, he just kind of guided me through, helped me whenever I needed it. and. Like, honestly, after that point, like toward the end of my freshman year, um, I was fortunate enough to be invited to the University of Washington Medical School for a summer internship Mm -hmm. and got to go do that super incredible experience. And while I was there, I feel like that was really the defining moment where I realized like, hey, you know what? I I can be a biology major because Mm -hmm. I was hanging around with a bunch of kids from like, There was a kid from Stanford, uh, John Hopkins, like all these incredible schools. Right. And I was just like, dude, I'm just as smart as them. You know, like, obviously they're way stronger than me in other areas of biology and I'm stronger than them in different areas. But like, at the end of the day, we all bring something different and that just kind of like brought some inspiration to me. Like, okay, you know what? Like, it doesn't matter what I choose as my concentration or even, like what school I go to, as long as I'm just doing my best, like the end goal will, will be the same, you know?
0: So it kind of sounded like it came from that belief at yeah, first. That's... So maybe mm-hmm. freshman year, you didn't have that belief as much.
1: Yes. Yes. I'd 100% agree with that. I feel like I just needed that spark of like, okay, yeah. Like I can believe in myself, but then I feel like even with that, just Just understanding that you can believe in yourself can take you really far. But then I feel like my sophomore year, um, when I got to room with Caleb and Luke, um, they kind of really helped me to grow in my faith. And I feel like having friends who help you grow in your faith and having a belief in yourself helps you build a stronger belief in a God who believes in you because he's setting you up to go do something incredible that he wants you to do, to go help other people. And I feel like when you know that there's always that one person, which in my case is God, who's always looking after you, then all, all of your worries just kind of disappear. You know,
0: I think that's so cool. That's inspiring, honestly, super inspiring. So it was really that it stemmed out of that belief, right? So how, how would you explain like freshman Yvonne, what, what were you like? Oh, dude,
1: a goofball, bro. You know, I sh- showed up from a small high school where I 4-0'd thinking I was just about to show up and 4 like it was nobody's business, you know, like, oh, yeah, let's go, bro. And then I was just like, dude, like, I can't, you know, I'm, I was staying up late till three in the morning playing video games, um, waking up, going to my 8 a.m. class, you know, just just having a blast and... I I just I feel like at some point I just didn't feel fulfilled like freshman Yvonne wasn't fulfilled because I feel like I wasn't really doing anything with my life you know like sure I was getting decent grades but it wasn't like I was I wouldn't say I was trying my absolute best which kind of bothered me because up to this point in my life I had always done everything to the best of my ability um and then the like part of me just being a goofball and just kind of like Not realizing that college is my job, you know, like I have the Gates Foundation literally paying, like, I think it's like 25,000 plus dollars every single year just for me to be there. And I I guess I just wasn't, I, I feel like I was thinking more about myself than thinking about other people as, as a, during my freshman year.
0: Is that kind of one of the reasons you want to be a doctor? Is because you want to impact others?
1: Yeah. um, So like growing up in my community, I got to see a lot of health disparities, especially because the Klamath Basin where I grew up is currently and generally always ranked really, really low. Uh, But currently for the past like two or three years has been ranked the worst county in the entire state of Oregon for health outcome. And wow. when I like go around, it's difficult to see people who, who don't go to the doctor because one, they don't have a ride or two, if they have a ride, now you're pulling two incomes for that day because they live together. So you're, you're having two people, um, miss work for that day. Um, people don't, uh, go because of language barriers. And so I see all these things and I'm like, dude, I I can help with that. I can establish a clinic where I'm a native Spanish speaker to help individuals with that language barrier. I can help try to create something to help it become more accessible to people to come see a doctor because I want to prevent illnesses before they happen, specifically chronic Mm -hmm. illnesses, where if you educate people, I feel like That education is far more likely to impact their overall long term health than to just wait and react to it with medication. And so, me being a doctor, I feel like I can help other people by bringing a different perspective. That, like, sure, even if doctors come to the basin and they bring in this like preemptive healthcare approach, they still don't know what it was like to grow up in these small town agricultural communities.
0: So it's almost a different approach of preventative medicine. Yeah, and trying to fix
1: everything. Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel like um, no one is going to live long enough to fix everything. So I think you just gotta target a few key th- things that you feel like need the most help currently so that you can go and work on that. and then hopefully in the future, uh, as a doctor, you start to mentor other individuals who kind of see things the way you do, but not one hundred percent see the things or see things the way you do, because you don't want everybody to follow the exact same path. Because I feel like that could be just as harmful, because then you're not taking any um, any advice from other people, and you're just kind of trying to do things your way. But you don't know if it's actually causing more harm, because you're kind of like blinded because you're subjective to wanting it to be your specific way, right? So mentoring some people who might have like slight variations in what you want to see, but overall the outcome of everybody's goal is to help people's overall health in a preventative healthcare way.
0: Hmm. So it's kind of like everyone has the same North Star of helping people yes. in healthcare. But if everyone travels the same path and we're gonna keep having the same problems. Right. Yes. We're gonna keep having not being able to solve the same and find the same solutions. Yeah. So It's kind of it's being unique. So how do you focus on being unique?
1: Because there's um, so many
0: examples to kind of look up
1: to. I feel like in a way to try to become unique and, and better and set myself up to become an incredible physician in the future, hopefully um, is by asking questions that nobody's asking right now. Right. Like, a question that always comes to mind is why is nobody asking questions here in the Klamath Basin really? Like if you look at publications that are happening around the state, like not so many are actually happening here in the Klamath Basin. Of course you you do see a couple that OHSU students are publishing, but I feel like for the most part everything's fairly generalized because I think in general people are just scared to ask why questions that might um, might not align with what other people actually want to hear. Right. Um, and I, so like a question that I always ask is like, why do we even have a language barrier here in the Klamath basin? Like we have, um, we have telehealth, so if we can go virtual, why aren't we seeing, um, programs that educate, uh, Spanish speak speaking individuals about using, uh, telehealth to communicate with a doctor somewhere else in the country who can speak Spanish, right? Someone they can communicate better with, who's obviously going to understand their story a lot better and probably be able to diagnose way better than a doctor who has to have an intermediate or who has to sit there and have a 10, 12-year-old interpret for his or her parents, right? So I feel like asking those why questions that nobody's asking can hopefully challenge people's thoughts and, and like get them thinking in different ways. And I feel like that's what makes me unique is I'm always asking those, those key why questions and I don't know the answers to them. And I don't think anybody knows the answers to them, but I feel like just bringing them to people's attention can just be a game changer. Yeah, totally.
0: That's such a good question to ask too, because I'm I'm a firm believer and I've realized the last couple of years that if you want to find a great answer and you want to find a great solution, you have to ask a great question. Mm. Right. And you might, you might not solve it right away. You might not find the answer, but you will, if you ask an amazing question, like it's mm-hmm. so like, it's directly related. Mm-hmm. As so I, I just got to ask, like, when did you, when did you start asking this why question? And really, why did you start asking the why question? Like, what was the point where you're like, I need to start asking better questions?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it goes back to my summer after my freshman year, when I'm at UW, you know, I spent six weeks in Seattle. And for the first time in my life, I saw extreme homelessness, walking down the U district, people laying down on the floor. Um, You could go into the, there's like this specific area that looks super sketch, but like when you go down it during the day, it's not as sketch, but there's like this facility that has a couple of rooms for people who are homeless. And I guess just that image that I always see just walking down there at night to go and get ice cream, right, which isn't a necessity. It it honestly isn't. It's just for joy. And knowing that I'm literally walking by people who are probably starving, you know, um, who don't have shelter, um, who are just struggling financially, and nobody seems to really care care, right? Or even if people people do care. Like, sorry, let me take that back. People do care, but it just doesn't seem like we were doing enough, like as a whole collective to help these individuals and and I feel like like that was just that that spark right there. The like why why are we not doing enough? Like why do we live in a world where Bill and Melinda Gates have so much money like a fortune that they could never get rid of but then we still have individuals who have to live in these circumstances just living on a sidewalk like why is that the case and then just like every time i think of like a why question it goes back to that like you can't really answer it like you 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 can come up with an answer to like oh well like the reason is because you could say people don't want to work but like That's not universally true. You could say, "Oh, it's because we live in a capitalistic society." But I would argue, like, like first of all, I don't like capitalistic societies all too much, right? Like, I kind of feel like you need to have like a mixture, right? A a little bit of capitalism, but a little bit of um, socialism. I kind of feel like we need we need to be kind of like a little bit in the middle. But like, even if you're in a capitalistic society. That means you do have a huge margin of people with so much money that they could never spend in a lifetime who should, in my opinion, be giving people this money, but why? And then should they be giving the money, right? Because these are all like questions that like kind of change between your perspective and your upcoming and you can't answer these whys, but just the thought of why, even if I can't get an answer is just like an incredible thought to me and I feel like Seattle really helped me come up with the why. Hmm.
0: That's a unique perspective. Definitely. So I, I can just, just in the way you speak about this and your passion, you, you have this pull on your heart to care for mm-hmm. other people, especially those you feel like that are underprivileged or mm-hmm. that maybe don't have, didn't have a fair shot at it. I mean, where, where did this come from? Is this part of your faith? Is this, you know, maybe your mom? I mean, where, where, mm-hmm. where does this stem from?
1: Um, honestly, I believe it stems from, the friends that I, my family and friends from my community, um, that I grew up in because my mom and my dad said like, you know, just, we don't care what you do in the future. We're always going to love you. And they showed this unconditional love. And I realized like, you, we should try our best to give people this unconditional love, even people you might not necessarily like, right? It's okay to not like someone, but you should still love them. And then just mixing that with my upcoming of just going to high school with a lot of individuals who didn't actually have the opportunity to pursue education after, because maybe they had to work to help their family. Um, some just didn't have the money and you start to save up, but you know, as soon as you start to see that paycheck... Um, if you don't have financial literacy, you're just spending that paycheck, right? Because you're like, oh, I have money, like actual loads of money. What what I guess a recent high school graduate would consider loads of money for the first time in my life, right? And seeing all of my friends who couldn't go to college, but wanted to go to college for these different reasons, right? And, And there's a lot more reasons we could get into, but just seeing that and seeing how there are quite a few handful who graduated with me who I would say are far like just so much more brilliant than like I would ever consider myself. And they taught me so much, but they didn't have that opportunity to go and follow their dreams because of like a mixture of not having the finances and not having financial literacy because you come from a family background that doesn't think about investing the little bit of money that you do have, right? And I feel like mm. that's that's where that caring came from. Like, you know, I care for the people who are with me and I want to see them make their dreams a reality.
0: I love that, Yvonne. Yeah, thank so, you. I think what's unique about you is I think a lot of people, I mean, I think everyone wants to help, right? And everyone wants to see change and see things be better. But I think it's easy to put it on someone else to say, Oh, like the system's not like the system's broken or the world's broken or, you know, the president needs to change this or whoever it is, whatever authority position. But I mean, I see it in you and we've talked about this, but I think you truly believe that you can change the world, mm-hmm. even if it's just a little or just changing Oregon. And so it's like, why, why do you feel this? You feel this sense of ownership. Is that right? That like, I truly can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right?
1: Yes. Um, I feel like, I feel like I get this sense of like, I can, I, I'm going to change that. I will make a difference in the world. Um, I don't quite know what that looks like. Cause you know, we, we can't really see the future, but it's just, I feel like every time I think about it and, and there's moments where I just feel super inspired. Sometimes my heart hurts because I hurt for other people, right? Like other, other individual circumstances, um, and I feel like just being able to to get into a mindset where I can feel how other people are feeling is, is my drive. And, like, it, it just kind of guides me and tells me, like, you will make a difference. You will help people because you feel what those individuals are feeling, you know?
0: Yeah, I totally get it. So, I mean, and you've told me this, too. You told me that. You want to be the best doctor in Oregon. Yes. Right. In the next 20 years. Yes. And that's, see, your ambitions are extremely high. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think to be the best doctor in Oregon, you realize that maybe freshman year, you saw glimpses that you weren't that person and like you weren't on the path to be that person. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm just curious like, what you have this grand, super grand vision, super grand vision high ambitions, what, what helped you align? Like, okay, who I am right now is not that person yet. But so like, what were, what were some of the changes that you made that, that you thought, okay, I'm becoming the person that could be the best doctor in Oregon.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to this thing we did on my football team in high school, and that was writing down your goals, right? <clears throat> so instead of writing down my goals, I wrote down what I thought were my biggest weaknesses. And you keep that with you, right? On a sticky note. And you get to see it like multiple times during the day. So I'd get to see my weaknesses. And one of them was, you're not organized. And honestly, I'm still not super organized, but it's getting better, right? You're not organized. So you see that as soon as you open up your first binder, You see that sticky note that says you're not organized. So you slightly start to try to come up with a system that works a little bit better for you. Um, You're spending too much time on your video games, right? Okay. You, you, I set up an alarm to notify me about that right around the time, whenever I wanted to start playing video games. And you just have that, that kind of like spark where you're like, no, 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 I committed to it. My phone's right. I need to get out of here. You start to hit the library more. Um, So just, listing all of my weaknesses so that I could target them and try to just, just change my weaknesses to try to make, to try to make them not as hindering as they were. Right. And so just being, I feel like being aware of what makes you not the best doctor by 2039 so that you can work around that. Or work to try to improve in that area. But but the key is becoming aware because I think we're often quick to judge other people, but we don't judge ourselves. So we need to take that moment to reflect, judge ourselves, write, write those judgment down because you're going to forget them really quick because we don't like to judge ourselves and just have them written down so you know that deep down you understand that that's who you currently are, but you don't want to be that person in the future
0: mm, awareness and strength. I like that awareness is that strength and that reality, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's so, so, so powerful. I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was November 5th of this last year. I think we we're eating in the bone eating breakfast and you told me your vision to be like the best doctor in 20 years. And I set a reminder in my phone. I said, Hey Siri, oh, yeah. set a reminder for 20 years. So 11, five 39. To remind Yvonne that he's the best doctor in Oregon. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's manifesting it right, and it's being aware of that.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and honestly, like once I made that goal, super game changer. Um, the I, I mean, it's kind of a little sketch, but um, to like say this because you don't know what would have happened if we still had physical classes, right? But Mm -hmm. always seeing my sticky notes on my door as I'd walk out to those 6 a.m. workouts with you and Luke, um, reading a couple of those goals and saying to myself, okay, if I want to be the best doctor, then I not only have to strive for academic greatness, but I have to strive to... Make more time for my friends and families because I don't just want to be a doctor in the future, right? So my vision of becoming the best doctor is is being well-rounded in that I care for my patients, but I care for my family, and I care for my friends. So making time to just kind of like get everything, right? A little bit of everything. Um, and so I'm just seeing the sticky note that says, best doctor, right? And my friend Brooke made me a little paperweight that said, best doctor award. And so seeing that made me more efficient in the way that I studied. And then having a sticky note that said I want to become more spiritual this semester and like find God in a deeper way. So I, I worked harder to seek out God this semester. And then I made a sticky note that said I wanted to do this. And so anyways, I got all these sticky notes about all these crazy things. And I go off to honestly improving my guitar a lot better um going off to hit those goals that I wanted to hit um for for uh weight training and the the one that I feel like was the coolest one was the academic achievement because I was able to cut down on the load of or on the amount of hours that I was putting into school to make time for my friends but because I was constantly aware of like, okay, I'm more organized. I have to get all this studying done right now. I'd be more laser focused. And all of that led me to pulling off my first 4.0 in college for my very last term, which was just kind of incredible. Like, obviously a lot of work, but just being aware of like, this is what I want for the future. So I'm going to go get it.
0: And it, 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 what's interesting, I mean, there's a couple things, but it didn't happen overnight right? It wasn't like you're like, Oh, these are my weaknesses. And then the next day you woke up and you're like, Oh, they're fixed. Right. Cause there's a lot of struggle there. There's a lot of back and forth that does not happen overnight. I think it's deceiving. I mean, it took you, let's say you started doing that sophomore year. I mean, it took you almost three years yeah. to get to this point, right. To get to your four Oh, which was your ultimate goal. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's so fascinating. It's such a different and interesting point, but then also it sounds like you really kind of foolproofed your environment. So you noticed like, okay, I think you told me to, you, you kept your video games at home. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. During the semester, right? Okay. So, I mean, it's like, why even have the temptation of video games? Right. And so, and you, you know, you put your sticky notes. So you're in, in your environment, you have reminders of, you know, this is what you're working on. This is your goals, all that kind of stuff. And so you really did what I feel like foolproofed your, foolproofed your environment. And Ooh. I think we're all results of our environment more than we believe it or not. And so creating that environment, creating that group of friends, uh, being just being in the library. I mean, you're in the library nonstop, it feels like. I mean, till midnight sometimes all the time. And then we'd get up and work out at six AM, which just blew me away because I know I I couldn't do it for more than two days. Yeah. But you would do it consistently and you were just driven. So I, I guess kind of my whole point with that is so you foolproofed your environment at school. How is it being home and the transition between Pretty much the six weeks before graduation to graduation. Did you feel that same laser focus? Did you feel that same motivation, inspiration, any of that kind of stuff?
1: (sighs) Lane, I'm not going to lie to you. It was so hard. It was so hard, man. I was just like, yo, got my video games here. My friends are hitting me up. Everyone wants to go fish. People want to go shoot guns. What am I going to do? Quickly realized week and a half has gone by. I haven't really done any school. I've just been logging into my classes, you know, taking my notes, just doing nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. And then it was just such a hard grind to get back into slightly being focused. And if I'm being honest, I don't think I was focused till a couple days before finals week. um, Because... I feel like when you can't even go to the library, even when you're at home and you're studying in your room on your bed, because, you know, I don't have a desk. There's just too much temptation. There's like that temptation to take a nap. You know, there's that temptation to stay up too late watching movies or something. You have the PlayStation. Um, And, and I just, I, I don't know. It was, it was just, it was difficult. I just, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just could not get focused till the end. And I feel like what really helped me start to get focused was uh, my mentor, Professor Smart, sent me a text. And when I saw that, I I remembered, dude, I made this man a promise. I told him, yo, I I couldn't get a single A or A- minus in any of your classes. And I took every single class he taught. I just B-pluses every single time. And I said to him, your mentor Dwight Kimberly is teaching this class so Professor smart, I'm going to go get an A in your mentors class that way my mentor's mentor got me that a right or I got an A from that class and when I saw his text I was like, oh, holy smokes you know I got two more exams in this class and I have to average, like a low, I think it was like I had average like a 90% on both of those exams. One of them being extremely difficult under the microscope exam, which we couldn't actually use microscopes anymore. So we were just looking at pictures and taking an exam off of these pictures. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. Threw every distraction away and went right in. And I said, I made a promise. So I'm about to keep this promise.
0: Bro, that that gives me chills, honestly. That change. And so I, I mean it's just so interesting. I want to hit on mentorship in a little bit, but your environment, right? And it's like hindsight's 2020. How would how could you have changed your environment? I mean, what are some things you could have done during the transition that would have made you more focused, would have provided that more of that inspiration, that that clarity, that preciseness? Anything mm-hmm. that you think you would have done differently?
1: Yeah. I honestly think if I could go back, I would have gone to the garage, set up a little corner, dropped a desk in there, and made that my study zone. Because I, I honestly believe that like the area that you're studying shouldn't be mixed with where you're doing other things. Like You should not be studying in your room, in my opinion, because you're... You, You think of other things when you're in your room. You're like, oh, this is where I watch TV. This is where I go to sleep. So your brain, at least my brain's like instantly like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm here to do. You know, like I'm not here to do homework. But if you make that specific area before all, before. I got to that point where I actually started getting laser focused. I feel like just walking out to the garage, sitting down, setting a timer for how long I wanted to study would have actually been a game changer because then I would have been able to focus. Cause I knew I was in that zone and I was there to study nothing else because there's nothing else I'm going to do in the garage, you know?
0: Hmm. So it's setting up that, that place, that physical place and for you. It yes. almost clicked mentally of, okay, now it's time to focus. Like yes. now it's time to do school. It's time to do this. And I think the reason I bring this up is because we all got knocked out of our routines. Mm-hmm. Right. And we got, especially like finishing college, like we got knocked out of what we've been used to for the last four years. And so yeah. what we've developed, right. And what, how you explain, like every semester you got better and you got better and you made these adjustments and you perfected your environment in certain ways. But then more often than not, we're going to get knocked out of this. Right? Mm-hmm. We're going to get knocked out of our routine, knocked out of our normal And this becomes our new normal. And so I think, you know, this transition is not going to be the last one that all of us face, right? This difficulty. And so I just wanted to bring up the kind of the way that you approached it so that, you know, it's probably, hopefully it's not going to be quarantine again. But -hmm. let's say, you know, I mean, in the after, so we just graduated and in the fall, you're supposed to go to OHSU to get your master's, Mm -hmm. right? And so what happens if it's in the, like in the fall, you have to go online. Like, what do you do? Right. You kind of have to adjust and you're not around people that you want to be around and all that kind of stuff. So I just want to bring that up because I think people don't realize how much their environment can influence them good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. Bad meaning playing video games, watching TV, hanging out with friends when we shouldn't be or good where you kind of perfect that environment and craft it in a way that creates really the perfect workspace, the perfect place to focus and just grow. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a really good perspective. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, I want to hit on something too. So Yvonne, you're honestly probably one of, if not the hardest working person I met. Oh, thank and you. So by hardest working, like just to give people perspective, kind of like I mentioned, I mean, you'll go in the library Saturday, you'll spend literally all day in the library mm-hmm. and not just, I mean literally all day in the library and part of Sunday and not only that you prioritize work and you prioritize your goals, mm-hmm. right? And you prioritize this. You don't just, you know, when something better, what you think is better comes up, you stay focused to this. So just background. I mean, have you always been this hardworking or do you think once you set those large aspirations and realized that you had to become that person is when mm-hmm. you started to work harder?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would say that I feel like I've always been hardworking, but I feel like I had never really transitioned that into my academics until after um, I had been exposed to all these other different things. And then come sophomore year, I realized, yo, know, I have these goals. So I have to do what I have to do and, and to get it done. And for me, doing what I had to do was giving up those saturdays to go grind right and just just understanding that it, it's kind of like a if if you think about like personal finance if you want something good it's going to take time right like you're not just going to instantly like invest in amazon and then a year later you're a billionaire right like it it's the the value of, of time. Right. So I said, okay, if I'm I'm starting now building this strong foundation, it it might take a while for me to like get to the groove that I want to get to, but it's going to have so much more value when I get to medical school. And hopefully I have built this super strong foundation to where I'm going to be able to, to find time to hang out with friends, come back to visit family, you know, when, when we have some more free time, And so, so I just kind of feel like I just hadn't really transitioned that hard work into that until I could see like, yo, like if I work, if I put that drive that I've, I've always had into school right now, then it's really, really going to pay off and it's going to have a super sweet reward in the future.
0: I feel like all the things we want, they don't come easy, right? Right. And so, but the things that we really want, it's like, deferring that satisfaction for the sacrifice and the struggle now, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not fun to stay up till midnight studying in the library. I mean, it's awesome. fun once you like, once you learn something, right. Yeah. And like, once you get that test, but you're, you're deferring that satisfaction for when, you know, for your ultimate goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it just, you talk about building that foundation and putting in day after day after day, and it's the compound effect, right. Yeah. And maybe you don't notice as much, that changes, you know, at first and at first, you know, the first, maybe the first year, sophomore to junior year, like, I mean, you got better, I'm sure. And you got more focused, but didn't it didn't change as much, but now, you know, the same amount of effort that you put in now because it's compounded on what's happened in the past, it just provides that many more fruits and that bears that much more reward. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. And so in the future, just like you said, you build that strong foundation and those those skills and that work ethic it just becomes easier and easier. And I mean, easier and easier is relative easier and easier for the same thing, but obviously your stakes are going to be getting higher and higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something I've always kind of wanted to ask you is, you know, you you spend so many hours just grinding in the library or doing this, how, especially for science, I mean, what I, what I think, what I love about you and I've learned to appreciate and really do better myself is, to spend that extra little time to say, okay, maybe I can get a 90 on this test. But instead of just being satisfied with getting a 90 and hoping maybe you get a little higher, you say, no, I'm going to learn 100% of this material. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I can ace every single test when I go in. Mm -hmm. So kind of, I mean, that's a lot of pressure though as well. And how do you determine, okay, I've actually spent enough time on this? Or I need to spend more time on this. Like, how do you determine how much work you need to put in, and what what does that look like?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I feel like the amount of time you have to put in really varies for your classes, um, like, it, and by the person, right? But I would feel like you, in, in general, you know, you've put in enough time when you're starting to just be able to go up to a whiteboard. And teach yourself as as if you were presenting that material to the class. So what I would do is I really, really learn the content well, right? I go back and I create these super tiny outlines where it's like, oh yeah, I went through, re-listened to the lecture, got the content down. While I was re-listening to the lecture, super condensed notes with a mixture of what I was listening to and what I took in lecture so then that whole entire hour i have maybe like 3 quarters of a page worth of notes so then by the end of it and i'm um, by the end of it when an exam comes by all i have to do is review like four one-sided pages right maybe five one-sided pages because all of that content is really condensed and i'm only condensing the portions that i feel like i'm really weak at where if you were to ask me about that i wouldn't really be able to explain anything Then after you study those outlines, walk up to a whiteboard and you create one of those webs where like you stem here and you're like, okay, this is the term and this is everything I know about it. And you just create a little web and it just starts to click because you're like, okay, I'm seeing how that's connecting. And then you come over here, write another word. And then you see how that connects to something else that you learned. And when you can make those connections between different things within the same field, I feel like that's when you really know the content. When you can see like, okay, this is why this goes with this. Even though in class you didn't really talk about it like that, but you're like, okay, like I can see how it all works together because the body does all work together.
0: Huh? I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, that's really good. It it makes me think that you really you take the energy and effort to put in time up front, Mm -hmm. right. And put in the work up front, which I think I struggle with a little bit as I would try to maybe cram sometimes. Right. But -hmm. if I would have spent so much time trying to learn it at first, so then all I have to do is review already the work that I've put in instead of trying to do everything last minute, then it, it, it just provides that much more value. And it becomes that much easier when you need to learn the content. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes back to right. Sacrificing up front and putting in that work up front so that it becomes easier and more rewarding down the line, which I think is awesome. And then it all, the way you described it, it all comes back to if you can teach something, then you actually know it, right? Mm Because I think we we actually, we think that we understand something, but until we can teach it to someone else and help other people understand, that's the moment when we, when we truly know something. And that's, I mean, I, I think all these things we're talking about, like we're talking about school and obviously it's past us, right? And obviously, you know, you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing school in the future and getting your master's and then your PhD and all that. No, PhD? No, MD. Or just MD. MD. Yeah. MD, sorry. MD. And so you'll be getting your MD and maybe a lot of the people listening to this right now aren't probably going to be doing more school. But I think these principles are so directly relatable to everything we do. Right. And it just this is just schools like the, the easiest way to define it because we've all been doing that for the last four years, whatever, whatever it is. But um, just I love that you're, you just seem like a student, right? You're, you're going to be a lifelong student. And I see that in you. Mm-hmm. And even after you go through however many, six, eight years, whatever, how much more school you have left, you're, I can just see you being a lifelong student. Would you say that?
1: Yeah. I would say so. Um, Honestly, uh, when some of my friends are like, "Dude, why are you gonna do a master's?" Because you don't actually need the master's to go become a doctor, right? It's just adding two more years. Um, and I, I'm just like, "Dude, well, like, I kind of want to do it because I I want to learn about this, right? Like, it it's interesting. And then thankfully, I do have the Gates Foundation paying for it, so it's like, why not go spend two years doing?" something that I really want to do and learning about something that I, I don't know much about, right? Like getting different perspectives from different professors, teaching different classes about health. And so, I don't know. It's just interesting. I'm just interested. I'm just interested in hearing what everybody has to say.
0: Yeah. You you really have that, you're developing that strong foundation, right? And maybe to some people it sounds like, They would not want to spend two more years of school, but to you, it's an investment now to pay off later of what you're learning and everything. And that's awesome. And something that you keep hitting at is your desire to learn, right? Your desire to learn. And I think that's one of the most scarce things in this world is the desire to learn. Because I think everyone in the way that the world is now with all this online education and blogs and social media and billions of YouTube videos, If we want to learn something, we can, Mm -hmm. right? We can, and we're making excuses if we say we can't. So the knowledge is out there, but that desire to learn, that desire to understand something is very scarce. And I see that so, so strong in you. Thank you. I see that so strong in you. Yeah, no, it's awesome, dude. So you, you keep talking about mentors and mentorship. And so I'm just – it's kind of been a common theme, honestly, with everyone I've interviewed is they've had people that they look up to and people that have helped guide, kind of guide their lives and help them make decisions. So just talk through like when – not when, but what – how do you seek out mentors and what does that relationship look like?
1: Mm-hmm. I i would say that I don't think I've necessarily sought out a mentor more so, I feel like just naturally you start to hang out with someone who, who in a sense you just kind of want to want to somewhat be like them in the future, right? Like when when I think about how how I started to get closer to Professor Smart and to just seek out his guidance, I think it started whenever I realized he was born in Montana um, on a ranch, you know, lived on a ranch. Um, did all kinds of like super cool things that I do back home, so I could see that like similarity. And then, but I I feel like the moment that I really really bonded with him was when he told us about how it took him eight years to get his PhD. Which is insane. That's that's a lot of time, and it all happened because right when he was about to finish his PhD, somebody came in, scooped, and published the exact same thing he was studying right before he got to publish it. Has to start over. Yet he found that that determination to just finish, right? Like, I like I I don't know. That was just incredible to me, and so just wanting to take that part of who he was and then just add it more into like who I was. Right. Because I think when I, when I was first learning from him, it was like, I don't think I would have had that strength. If somebody was like, Oh yeah, you're just, you're four years into college. Psych. You have to start college all over again right now. I don't know if I'd have the strength to just be like, okay, yeah. Like let's go do this again. I think it'd just be really hard. I, I would, I would be really upset. Um, I'd be, I'd be mad honestly and and uh, but just just seeing that in him or um, Professor Kimberly, seeing how he just loves his students so much like a genuine love to where he focuses everything he's ever done for his students yet he's like one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. He could go off to go do incredible things in research, but he's at George Fox for his students because he loves them, right? And taking that part of like, okay, well, I want to love my patients and the people in my community just as much as he does, and just finding like those aspects. But I, I don't really think you seek out mentorship as much as it just naturally happens, right? Because I feel like if, if you're seeking out mentorship, you got to be careful because um, you might not align really well with the person that you want to mentor you, right? I, I feel like it's just just got to be natural. Like when I look at you and Professor Pam Lau, um, it just it's natural. You know what I'm saying? Like I I I mean I wasn't there when uh, she first started mentoring you, but it just feels like you two naturally gravitated toward each other, and there's just there's just something there that that just clicks, right? And I feel like when you didn't have to force it or seek it out that's when you get super overpowered mentorship.
0: Hmm, that's a good perspective. Yeah. I like that. You're definitely not forcing it. I think with you, it sounds like kind of your mentors and the people you looked up to are maybe traits that you either had that you really value or traits that a character traits that you wanted in yourself. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like I, I aspire to that and I'd really admire that. Mm-hmm. And then, from like just little background on mine with Pam, it was like, I didn't really, I I agree with you. I didn't really seek out Pam as like a mentor. I just wanted, I saw things in character traits in Pam that I really admired and I just wanted to learn from her. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, I can learn so much from her and I can, you know, there's so many things that she can teach me. And so it just started with the same thing, like asking a good question, asking good questions and just being curious with it. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of formed into that relationship. But I agree with you. It wasn't like I really seeked out and said, "Pam's going to be my mentor or a mentor." I, I, I just wanted to learn from her, and I, I admired who she was as a person and what she was doing. And so, yeah, that's that's a good perspective. So let's we're kind of getting near the end here. I I, I want to. So you're you're heading to get your masters here yes. in the fall, and so. What's your mindset and let's say I mean what's your mindset if we touched about it a little bit? what's your mindset if you aren't able to go in the fall? let's say they cancel it in general I mean yeah. I, have you thought about that or I mean it just with everything going on, I'm just trying to think how you think of the uncertainty about it
1: mm-hmm. um, honestly, if you would have asked me last semester, I would have been scared, but yeah. I realized something after uh, taking a class from professor Kimberly. Um, we just we have to be okay with living in mystery, right? Like even though we plan out our lives, and I'm like, yeah, I want to be a doctor. Like I can't know for sure what being a doctor might look like for me in the future, right? Like I could be a doctor who ends up going into academia to help guide the next generation of doctors, right? Um, I might be a doctor who doesn't even practice in the clinic because all he's ever doing is helping with public health outreach, right? And so just living in, in, in this mystery and just embracing it because I, th- it, it goes back to the the why questions. You can't answer the why questions because if you could answer them, then, then the world would be perfect, right? And so thinking about knowing or just knowing that I'm constantly living in mystery and that that fall quarter isn't guaranteed because I don't know what COVID might make that look like. I feel like just embracing, hey, it's it's a mystery. We'll see what happens when we get there. I mean, I don't have a plan if, if it doesn't happen, but I'm okay with figuring something out if it doesn't go through, right? Like just staying calm because I'm fortunate enough to have parents who let me live here for free so I don't really have that worry so I don't necessarily feel like I should be stressed about it not going through right like it would be unfortunate but I have a long life anyways so if I get postponed mm-hmm. a couple weeks it's not the end of the world maybe it'll mm-hmm. give me time to go blog or something right like yeah something crazy I don't know
0: yeah I mean, it sounds like you're pretty content with the fact that it's out of your control yeah. Right. And you, you can't control what they do, what happens in the world in the fall after that. And so like you said, you like, maybe I'll go blog or something. Mm-hmm. Because I think when our plans get disrupted, we just, we can make new plans, right? And we can make, we don't have, doesn't have to be lifelong plans, but okay, make a plan for the next week. What can mm-hmm. I do for the next week? That's maybe I've always wanted to do, or now it gives me the opportunity to do in creating that. yeah, I think that's awesome. I'm kind of on that topic. I'm just curious to wrap us up here. How, how do you think about prioritizing
1: your time? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think uh, you got to think about what you're doing at that time. Cause during uh, the school year, you have to, in my opinion, this is all my opinion. You have to prioritize school because that's your job. Right. And then you have to figure out where do you want like your friendships and your family to fit in. Um, but that being said, I think that at, at the end of the day, even though you're super focused on academics, your family and friends should override that should something happen, right? Like you should always put family and friends ahead of that. But like for the most part, unless something crazy happens, you're there for school, right? But if you have to go home for whatever reason, don't not go home, you know, like, if, if something crazy happens back home and you're like, oh, if I leave now, then I'm going to have a really bad academic semester. It's like, in my opinion, you just got to take that because your grades will be there and you can do whatever you'll still get a job, but your that, that like friendship and that, that family connection that you have, you can really hurt it. Right. And it's like, you can hurt your GPA, but you can fix that later. But like hurting a person is really, really hard to go back to and fix. So I think like prioritizing, like, yo, like this is more meaningful in the long run when I'm 50, 60 years old. Like, will, will that see that I get because I go home, still be there? Like, yes, but it doesn't matter. And then like that going back to, or into the future for people who have careers, like, yes, you're there at work. So that's your priority. But then something happens with family quickly that, that just escalates to being your top priority, right? Because you can find another job, but you can't find another mom, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's so true.
0: So then just like on that real quick, how do you prioritize, like, it's kind of like the preventative thing. So, you know, when things are going wrong, I I love your perspective that you need to prioritize what's truly important to you and to Mm -hmm. you, it's your family and your, your close friendships. And so how do you prioritize those things when maybe things are going well? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like let's say there's no struggles in the family, you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's yeah, hard yeah. it's hard because it's not urgent for us, right? Yeah. but it's still still just as important.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with you, super, super hard uh, to prioritize um, friends and family at least for me when school's going on. Um so the best way that I found to do this was open up my Google Calendar, plan out everything, right for the entire semester for the most part, except for like cool events that come up along the way, right? And I color code it and I say to myself, okay, lifting with Luke and Lane at 6am, super important to me. So I book from six to my next class and I book it in red because red says, no matter what you're doing this, like it's, it's, it's that danger zone. You have to go do it. Right. And then you, you mark your classes, whatever. And then you say, okay, during this time period, I really like hanging out with this person. Um, So I'm going to make that yellow because if I have an exam, then I'm going to have to be like, I'm sorry, like I got to go prioritize this exam. But if you don't have an exam going on, like you're just like studying the exam still a ways away, then you can go hang out with that friend group. So I think just color coding the different amount of time to tell you like, hey, I'm running out of time or hey, I I have some some extra time, you know, it'd be okay if I go hang out with some people right now. And I feel like the color coding in my head just made sense. Like green, just go for it. Red, no, stop, stop, go back, go back. Think about this. You you don't want to flunk out of this class right now. But even that being said, it's, it's just really difficult, I feel like, to balance both when everything's going well.
0: Super tough. Yeah, and there's yeah. probably not one right answer, but I think that's a good perspective. Yeah, I, I think with the prioritizing and the color coding, I love that. And I haven't color coded yet, but I've started to prioritize in this similar way that you think about it. And the cool thing about planning is that you're not stuck to your plans, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean that you, you're not a slave to your plans, mm-hmm. right? You're, you use your plans so that you can actually find the clarity and you can find the focus. And one thing that's really helped me with planning everything out is that it, it makes you have to think less, yeah. right? So you're looking at the night before you're like, oh man, what should I be doing tomorrow? And then Mm -hmm. you're like, Oh wait, like I already planned this out two months ago. So you look at your next day, like you look at the, you know, your schedule for the next day and you say, okay, you know, these things are kind of a little bit different, but you're right. These are still my priorities and Mm -hmm. it just makes you have to to think less. And then you can just focus on executing, Mm -hmm. which is so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. That's good, bro.
1: Anything else? Dude, I think that that covers it, bro. This was super fun though.
0: Yeah. No, I enjoyed it so much, honestly. It's been really cool. Thank you, bro. Definitely. All right, Yvonne. Yeah, thank you so much, dude. And that wraps up this episode of the Grasping Life podcast. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Feel free to subscribe for new episodes. And if you got any value out of this, feel free to share it with someone else who might as well. I would love to connect with you on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn if you search for Lane Kimbrough. And it would make me super happy if you wanted to chat about it on the phone. My number is 720 625 and I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Until next time.